Galatians, of course, is found in the New Testament, and we're working our way through. We're just a few weeks in, and so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, finishing chapter 1 into Galatians chapter 2 this morning in the time that we have, looking at the, the story in many ways of Paul's ministry, particularly the beginning of Paul's ministry and the things that happened in his life up to the point that he's writing this letter to the Galatians. And as we look at Paul's story, what we will find this morning is that each of us has a story. Each one of us has a story of what God has done and what he's doing in our lives. And also there's a story that's yet to be told of what God intends to do through us in the future, his work, his plans that he has for our lives. And so this morning, we're going to focus a lot on these plans that God has. And of course, anytime we talk about the future and what God has for us in the future, really we can't help but to look backward and see what it is that God has already done and the ways that God has already worked in our lives, knowing that what he has done to this point leads us into the future, points the way, we might say, for what it is that we expect that God is wanting to do, what he's going to do in the future. And we see that not only in the story that Paul is telling here in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, but as we begin to reflect on that and the truths that we pull from Paul's own story, we will be able to see that in our own lives and in our stories as well. So I want to read beginning in chapter 1, verse 11, and we're going to, we actually are going to read quite a bit this morning because we're going to cover all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. And so as I read through this text, you'll find that it's on the screen here. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take the blue hardback Bible in front of you, in the pew in front of you, and follow along. You can find in the, in the, the first few pages of that Bible, you'll find a table of contents that will point you to where Galatians is. I'll also just tell you it's more or less toward the back of the Bible. It's one of the New Testament letters, and so it's in, in the back portion of the Bible. And I want to encourage you to follow along with me here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to pause there, and let's, let's talk about the story, what it is that Paul is referring to here. Paul is answering the, the criticisms of the Judaizers. Now, we've talked about this some. If you've missed the last few weeks, then you've missed some of the background that we've laid out about what's happening here. But in these churches in Galatia, which was a region, and in these churches in this region, there were these people who were coming in after the work of Paul and others who were spreading a false gospel, a false hope, or a false presentation of faith in Christ and what it meant to follow Christ, because they would tell these believers that, okay, now that you've put your faith in Christ, now you've got to follow the Old Testament law and all of the rules and all of the customs and all of the, all of the prohibitions and all of the sacrifices and the festivals and all of these things in the Old Testament law. You've got to follow these law, this law in order to be pleasing before God, in order that your faith would be genuine. And what Paul is telling them is, no, essentially, no, you don't. That, that's not the gospel that we preached to you, that what we preached was faith in Christ and nothing else, that, that God has a plan, a, a, a call for our lives that we're going to see. God has purposes for us, but 
it's not that you have to add something to that in order to receive his salvation. It's not that God needs you to contribute your part to meet him in the middle, in the middle halfway, so, so to speak. That It's nothing like that at all. That rather we come to him broken as we are. We surrender all to him and that he transforms us and then by his grace empowers us to live the life that he's called us to. And we don't have to keep any particular set of Old Testament laws or rules or anything else that anyone else would add to that gospel, that good news. And so as Paul is writing this, of course, he's taking on the criticisms of his own ministry, which would have been something like this. They would have said something like, well, Paul, he gave you part of the gospel, but he didn't give you all of the gospel. He gave you part of the good news, but he didn't preach all of the good news to you because he didn't want to offend you. He was afraid that maybe you guys would you wouldn't respond, that you wouldn't receive it if he gave it all to you. But now we feel like we need to give you everything. You need to know about all of it. And Paul's saying that's not the case at all. He says, if anyone should come to you, even if it's an angel of God or me or anyone else, if they should come to you and preach a gospel other than the gospel that we gave you, he said, let them be accursed. Let them be, let them be thrown out, essentially. He says, have nothing to do with them and what they say and what they teach. Just dismiss it all entirely. And so... In saying that the gospel that he received was not from man but from a revelation of God, what he's saying is, no, listen, I haven't messed this gospel up. I haven't distorted the good news that I've presented to you at all because it's not like I heard this good news from someone else. Jesus himself gave me this good news. Jesus himself gave me this gospel that I, gave, that I, that I taught you, that I gave to you. And so I, I'm not, I've not distorted it or changed it in any way. Of course, we know from the book of Acts, particularly in Acts chapter 9, that, that Saul had a personal one-on-one -on -one encounter with God on the road to Damascus. And there, as, as he was blinded by this light, and, and the voice came out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His answer was, Jesus, is that you? And, and he had an encounter there with Jesus where his life was radically changed. Saul, who was the one leading the way in persecuting Christians in the early church. Saul, who was like, who was like the, the one who was out in front of everyone doing these, these persecutions and these attacks, even the deaths, the stonings, the other things that were happening, was so radically transformed, so radically changed, that now he's the one going around preaching the good news that he used to seek out those that were preaching it. And, and so his life totally changed, of course. And you can read more about that background, that story in Acts, starting in Acts chapter 9. But what he's saying here is so important because he's saying, listen, I haven't taken what someone else gave me and distorted it in any way. I received this as a direct revelation from Jesus himself. That, his authority with the gospel is being established here. It's what's at stake. Verse 13, he says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Now, Cephas is, is Peter. That's an, an, another name. It's just a transliteration of that name, Peter. And so he says, I went to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. 
And in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then, he says, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only uh, they, rather, were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Chapter 2, verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before them who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or I had not run in vain. He's saying essentially this gospel that I was given by Jesus, by revelation of Jesus, I went, I went to those who were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and I presented the gospel to them that I was going to preach to the Gentiles to be certain that I was right, that I was correct, and that, that I wasn't mistaken in any way. And he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So these same leaders that he presented the gospel to didn't correct him, didn't say, no, Paul, you don't have it right. You've only got part of it. There's some that you're missing. He's saying essentially they, they, they signed off. They agreed that what I was preaching was the true gospel. Verse 7, he says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So essentially what Paul is relating here is he's relating the story of his own life, of his own, his own past, his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and he's telling the church that the gospel that I presented to you, I'm not mistaken about this gospel. I'm not, I'm not confused. I, I haven't presented to you just a portion of the gospel, but rather I'm so certain of that gospel and of the authority that God has given me to preach it that even when I presented it to the, the disciples themselves, right? I mean, those who were among the original 12, guys like Peter, James, and John, even when I presented this, this gospel, this message to them, not only did they not only did they agree that I had it right, but they gave me the right hand of fellowship and they agreed that I should come to you to preach the gospel to you. There's this, all this conversation there about who are the circumcised, who are the uncircumcised. And of course, that's just describing the circumcised as being those who were, those who were Jews, those who were a part of the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law. They were, they were Jews by birth. And then those who were Gentiles who were essentially everyone else who's not a Jew, but in this sense talking about the Gentiles, those who had converted to faith in Christ, those who had placed their faith and their trust in Christ because of the gospel that they had heard preached. And so essentially Paul is saying, listen, the authority that I have and the message that I was given by that divine authority come to you and I've not distorted or changed it in any way. And as we see Paul's story 
played out here as he's talking about his story, as we see what the Lord has done in his life and through his life, you know, it's a reminder to us that each one of us has a story as well. Now, your story isn't like Paul's story. Your story isn't even like my story or anyone else's story for that matter. There may be some things that we have in common. There may be some parts of our our history that we share, but your story is unique to you. It's as unique as your as your fingerprint, as your, as your ID, right? I mean, it's, it's a part of who you are. And as Paul was relating his own story, his own identity in Christ, it's a reminder to each of us that we have an identity in Christ as well. We have a story to tell. And so this morning, I, I want to walk through this passage, and the points that I want to teach all center around this idea that every one of us have a story to tell. And just as Paul is relating his story here, there are lessons that we can learn about how we're to run the race that God has laid out for us to run. And so a few weeks ago, actually just a little over a week ago on a Friday, I got a call from a friend of mine, a friend of mine that is pastoring another church here in Oklahoma, a great church actually, and and, and from my perspective, I look at that church and, and I think that, man, things are, are going extremely well. And it, and it looks like, at least from, again, from my vantage point, it looks like, man, that's, that's awesome. I mean, God is blessing and great things are happening in the life of this church. And he was just down on this particular day, just, just having a, a down moment, which happens to all of us, right? And we all have those moments when we need a cheerleader, we need someone to encourage us. And, and he just said, Man, I just called the, I just wanted to talk. I'm just, I'm feeling, I'm feeling bummed today. And I know that what I'm feeling is not from God. I know that this is my flesh and I'm wrestling against my flesh. But he said, you know, yesterday I was at this meeting and I spent time around this other pastor that is, uh, that, that's getting ready to put a campus in here in our town. Like he's a part of this big mega church and they've got campuses all over the place and they're getting ready to put a, a campus here in our town. And people are talking about how great that is. And, and I'm excited, you know, he's saying, I'm, if it's advancing the kingdom, if it's advancing the gospel, then that's good. May God continue to use it. But I also have to be honest, it's discouraging sometimes because it's like we're trying. We're here in the community and we're working and, and we're trying so hard to reach people. And, and, and it just seems like sometimes that everything I do just doesn't get, you know, it just falls on deaf ears essentially is what he was saying. And, and I listened to him, and, and to be honest, I've felt that way myself at times. It's, I think it's something that every pastor struggles with at different points. And, and so I, I listened to him, and, and after he was talking about, man, I know that this guy's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but sometimes it's just hard. And my answer to him was, I said, man, here's the deal. You've got to run your race. You can't run his race, and he can't run your race. And there are things about his race that God has called him to that you may look at and you may say, well, that, I really wish that was a part of my life. And, and there are things that I look at and I say, wow, that'd be awesome if that would happen. But at the end of the day, you've got to run your race. Stay in your lane and, and run your race. That was my advice to him that day. And, and, and we, I prayed for him and encouraged him. And, uh, and, and, and you know, he, his response, he said, man, that was, that was worth a phone call. And the thing is, he's been that friend to me before too. He's been that friend to me that will encourage me and speak words of, of encouragement to me when I need to hear them. And I, before I get into any of this, and I'm gonna move quickly through all of these points this morning, but before I get into any of that, can I just say this? Each and every one of us have a, a race to run. And sometimes it's easy when we run that race to want to run 
someone else's race, right? We, we see what someone else is doing. We see what God has done in someone else's life. We see the lane that they're running in, and it's easy to have, you know, lane envy, right? We want, I, I wish I was there. I wish, I wish I had this. I wish I was as fast as them. I wish I was as good as them. I wish all, the, you know, I wish my past didn't have this, or I wish that my future looked like this. Or It's easy to look at someone else, but can I just tell you that nothing in your life is, is, is a mistake in the sense that nothing, I mean, we've made mistakes, I, I recognize that, but in a mistake in as much as that God was unaware of what was happening and he didn't know or that he, was ne- he wasn't there with you. God has been working throughout the whole of your life to bring you to the moment where you are now so that he can continue to work in your life to lead you into the future that he has for you. And for some of you, you've walked with the Lord for years. Like you, you've followed God for a long time and you've worked to serve him well and you've tried to run well that race. And some who are here today, you're at the point where you're really maybe in many ways still investigating what this faith in Christ thing is all about. And, and, and you're trying to figure out where do I stand on all of this and, and, and what do I believe and what do I be- not believe? What do I know and what do I not know? And can I just tell you that regardless of what has happened in your past, re- regardless of the, the hurts, the habits, the hangups, the things that you've dealt with in your past, God has a plan and a purpose for your life if you will follow him, if you will place your faith and your trust in him, and if you will keep this simple truth in mind, you've got to run your race. You can't run someone else's race. You can't run in their lane, right? You've got to run your race that God has laid out for you. So the first thing that we learn from the story that Paul is relating and as it relates to our lives is that God's purpose for our lives is not limited by our mistakes and our failures. God's purpose in your life is not limited by the mistakes and the failures of your past, the things that you have done and that's really good news for every one of us, right? If, because if, if God's purpose for our life was somehow contingent upon our mistakes and our failures, then what happens when we jump off track even just a little bit, right? What happens when we, when we veer off course even just a little bit? It's like now all of a sudden we've wandered away and can we ever know the fullness of joy and life and peace that God had intended for us? If there is this perfect will and then we sidestep it, and every one of us, by the way, have sidestepped that, right? I mean, if there's this will of God, and we've all like veered off course somehow, and, and if it's like, all right, well, God says, well, you, you made those mistakes, and so, uh, you know, now it's just never going to be as, as good as, as it could be. It's never going to be quite what I, if that were the truth, if God didn't have the power to restore and heal and redeem fully the mistakes that we've made, then what hope do we really have, right? But praise God by his grace, not only does he have the power to restore and redeem our mistakes and our failures, but he has the power to make it just as though it never even happened. That's how perfect his love and his redemption for us can be. And so our mistakes and our failures don't take God by surprise. When you stumble and fall in sin, God doesn't say, oh no, they blew it. What are we going to do now, right? See, we sometimes, because our lives are lived out chronologically or linearly, we think in terms of a linear chronological progression of time. Today, I, I do this, and today I'm living in this moment, and tomorrow other things are going to happen, right? Just like today, 
it's going to, you know, maybe have freezing rain. And yesterday it was like 80 degrees in February. And then tomorrow, who knows, right? It's Oklahoma, hang around and it's going to change. But we think in terms of these linear progressions of time. But see, God is not bound by time. He, he's not bound by the constraints of time and space and, 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 and nature the way that we are. And so God exists. Not only does God exist in all places all at once, that's the idea of his omnipotence, or rather his omnipresence. Not only is God in all places, but that, that even transcends the, the boundaries of space and time, meaning that not only is God existent right now in this moment with us in this moment, but he already perfectly exists in the future in every place that it could possibly be as well. And when you start to think about that, it absolutely blows our mind, right? I mean, just it boggles us to think. But God isn't here in this moment waiting to see what's going to happen. And so when the Word talks about how God ordained something, or God decreed something, or God said that something would happen, He literally was there in the moment as it took place, decreeing and accomplishing the purpose of His will, because God transcends boundaries like space and time. There's a lot more I could say about that. I mean, we could go really deep in, in, in chasing that, but the, the idea is this, all right, to bring it back to what's happening in Galatians. God's plan and His purpose in your life, His call on your life, hangs on the gospel not on your actions or your intentions. So when you, when you do what is right and you obey and you follow in his plan, then, then God gets the glory in that. And his, his work is accomplished in our lives. And thank God that, that we have the sense because he's revealed himself to us that we see and we can live in that purpose. But when we don't, when we disobey and we wander away and even when in our intentions are wrong and we sin, the reality is that God is still working to bring about a plan that we would come back to him, that he would redeem and restore what is broken, that we might experience the fullness of what he has for us. And so similarly we see, as in Paul's own life and testimony, that his mission for our lives is not dependent on our skill set or our abilities. Now, it's interesting that Paul says in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But when he who set me, who had set me apart before I was born, and who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. All right. And so he says, He who set me apart before I was born, literally before Paul was even born, God had these plans and these purposes for him. And Paul writes in, in many different places that we should walk in the good works that we were created for. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 is a great place to point you to that talk about the plan and the purpose that God has for us, that we should walk in these good works that he's laid out for us. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 talk about that God from the foundation of time knew us and that his, he had a plan and a purpose for our lives. And so what Paul is saying essentially when he talks about God who knew me, who set me apart before I was born, he's saying, listen, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I persecuted the church violently, Paul says. But God had a plan, and he was working his plan all along to redeem me, to restore me, to, to call me back. He was pursuing me. And when I understood that plan, when I came face to face, not only with that plan, but with Jesus himself, then I received this hope, this good news that I gave to you. Just like you and I, when we come face to face with Christ, we, we see his mission, his purpose 
for our lives. When he saved us, then he gives us a mission and a purpose and a calling. And this mission doesn't depend on our skill set or our abilities, right? It's not dependent upon how good you are or how qualified you are. Paul, maybe more than anyone else, maybe Paul is the most unlikely of all candidates to take the gospel to anyone because the same Paul was the guy who was working with all of his might to snuff out the gospel, to stop it in its tracks. And yet God transformed his life. And if God can change Paul's life in that way, he can, he can change your life in any way he, he chooses to as well. If you will just surrender yourself to him, if you will follow his plan, his, his purpose. And not only does his mission not depend on our, our, our skill set or our abilities, God didn't just pick Paul because he said, well, I need this one. I mean, I know right now he's working against us, but I need this one. He's got the tools that I need. No, God chose Paul because in his grace, his desire was to save Paul and to change his life, just like his desire is to save you and to change your life. And it's not dependent upon what you bring to the table because what you bring to the table, frankly, in the eyes of God is of no real value because it's marred by sin, stained by your choices. But by God's grace, His blood washes all of that away. And God desires you not because of what you have to offer him, but because of who you are, because he made you, because he loves you. And so, similarly, we see in this story of what Paul is relating, that God entrusts us with the tools necessary to accomplish the work that he calls us to. I say it to you this way all the time, that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That God didn't save you because he looked at your life and said, need that one. She's got, she's got all these things and I could really, listen, God saved you and now he wants to use what he's already given you and what he desires to give you in the future to do the work that he wants to do through you so that he receives the glory in all of that. I had a seminary professor who would say this, and, and I love it. Uh, this seminary professor of mine was, uh, he, he kind of talked with a southern drawl. He was from the south and uh, and when he would talk to us, he would call his he would call us in his class. He would call us men. That was it wasn't even a class of all men. It was men and women. But that was just you know kind of his way. He, he, men, and he would say to us that God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. Right? That God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. And what that means is that God doesn't need you to be perfect. He doesn't need you to have it all together. What He wants is for you to be surrendered so that He can change your life and use you for His glory. He'll give you the tools necessary to accomplish the work that he's calling you to. He doesn't need us to accomplish his purpose. Let's be clear about that as well. God doesn't need you as though he is lacking, as though he was incomplete, as though there was something that's missing until he gets you. Rather, he chooses you because he loves you, because his desire is that you would be saved from your sin. His desire is to restore you from the brokenness of your sin. Not because he needs you, because frankly, he, he doesn't need anything. He never needed any of us, but rather because in his love for us, his desire is to make us whole. And then finally, we see this, that he gives us grace through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this gospel. He gives us grace so that we would be reminded of our constant need in him. So that we would be reminded of our constant need in him. Now, listen. If God were not God, then this would be absolutely narcissistic and, and 
self-centered and egotistical of him. I mean, if God were not truly God and all he wanted was for us to be reminded of how much we need him, that we should trust in him, that we should rely on him, that we should depend upon him, that we should place our faith in him, and as we stumble and fall, even in that, he wants to work to bring us back. If he were not God, that would be, he would be a total ego, egomaniac, right? But because he is God, this is nothing short of beautiful and good. Because he is God, then not only does he have a plan for our lives, but he has the power, and he understands that only he has the power to satisfy our deepest need. And so to point us in the direction of anything else would be ungood and unloving of God. If he truly has everything that we need, if in him, as Paul writes to the Colossians, is the fullness of all wisdom and knowledge, if in him we live and move and have our being, if God is the source of all things that are good, the giver of every good gift, and he would point us toward anything else, then that would be truly unloving. But because he is God and he is good and he is all powerful than for him to say come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest for him to say I am the vine and you are the branches remain in me because apart from me you can do nothing is totally good and and beautifully loving of him and so his desire is that we would be reminded of how much we need him, not because he's a megalomaniac and he needs that, but because we need that. And he knows that he's the only one that can satisfy that need inside of us. And so his plan is to work through even the, even the well, as we said it, we called it already this morning, the hurts, the habits, the hangups, through the, the darkness of our life, the sin, the mistakes, the failures that we have. His plan in all of that is to work to lead us back to him because he recognizes that only he can satisfy and only he can fill the longing inside of us. And so this points us back to the beauty, this, the, the beauty of the gospel, the heart of the gospel that Jesus alone can save us and sustain us, but thank God he's made a way. Thank God he's done that for us so that as we place our faith in him, our lives are changed. It's the heart of the gospel, right? Not only can he save us, not only does he desire to save us, but by faith when we trust in him, he does save us and change us and transform us. And if you're here today and there's any part of you that has felt like I, God can't use me. God's, all the things I've done in the past, the mistakes I've made, the, the, just my heart. If God saw my heart, you understand that he already sees your heart. In, the, in this beautiful, mind-boggling reality that, that I, I feel ill-equipped to even try to explain, I understand that before you ever breathed your first breath, God was here in this moment and he saw your heart, and he knew all of that before any of it took place. And even then, his love for you is greater than anything. And his desire is to transform you if you would just receive his grace and trust in him. Paul tells the story of how this happened and how it changed his life. Today, I wonder, are you ready to have your own story to tell? of how God wants to change your life, not only how he wants to, but how he has transformed and changed your life. I want to ask if you would this morning, 
to bow your head and close your eyes because I want to move us to a time of response, a, a time where we, where we are able to reflect on and think on these truths in a, in a personal way that we, might, that we might be reminded this morning of how much God loves us and the great links that he has gone to restore us, to redeem us from the brokenness of our sin. This morning, as you're thinking about your life and, and, and your past, as I'm about, I'm just going to lead us in a, a prayer here, and then we're going to have a time where we where we move and we respond. But if there's any part of you that thinks, I, man, I, 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 I've never really surrendered to that. What, what he's talking about that is, I've never really given my life to that. Then today could be the day for you that you would surrender your life to Jesus and receive this grace that would wash over you like a flood. So God, this morning we thank you that you, you do make beautiful things out of dust as we've sang this morning. You make beautiful things out of us. God, that you have the power to save us. That we can be amazed by your grace. So God, as we come face to face with this truth, as, as our lives are confronted by this reality of who you are and what you've done, I pray that we would just surrender ourselves to a Savior who loves us perfectly. And now God, would you, would you just transform us so that our lives might be spent for your kingdom, for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. Just a moment as we stand to sing this song together. We call it a time of invitation because we're inviting you to respond as God's leading you. And so I'll be here in the front this morning waiting, ready. If you'd like for me to pray with you, maybe, maybe you sense this is the moment. Now is the time when I need to give my life to Jesus. Then would you come this morning? There's nothing I would want more than to be able to walk you through a simple prayer of surrender where you yield your life to him. Maybe you want to come and pray at our, at our altar this morning, the steps here on the stage, or like an altar where we can pour out our lives before God. And so maybe you feel led to come and pray this morning. But if God is doing work in your heart in any way, prompting you, leading you to engage with his plan and his purpose for your life, then my prayer is that today you would surrender. Before we even have this service, that's what I pray. God, would they hear your truth and would they respond to your truth this morning? And so as we stand to sing now, would you respond to God's truth? All to Jesus I surrender.
song obviously we sing it again and again I surrender all I surrender all you know that's really what we need each one of us is we need to reach that moment of surrender that moment where we stop trying to be enough to be good enough to have enough to have all of life answered and figured out but rather in that moment where we just realize that we'll never be enough or have enough but by God's grace we don't have to be because Jesus was enough And that's the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians. That's the same good news that has the power to transform their lives and has the power to change lives today. That you don't have to be enough because Jesus was enough. Today, I hope that you'll place your faith and your trust in him. I'm gonna ask if you would to have a seat this morning and maybe you sense in this moment that God is is, is just still at work, that he's like, he's... He's been doing something in your heart, prompting you in some way. And you didn't come forward during this time of invitation, but you know that God is at work and that he's calling you or leading you in some way. Can I tell you that the invitation to follow him is not over just because we stopped singing the song and even because our service ends in a few minutes, the invitation to follow him is not over. And so another way that you can respond this morning, another way that you can let us know what God is doing so that we can follow up with you this week and encourage you is take that same registration card I talked about at the very beginning of our service. It's in the the back of the pew in front of you in, in that rack there in the pew. It just says registration on it at the top of it. And so take that, fill out your information. At the bottom of that, you'll find some boxes. You can just check one of those boxes that seems to fit with what's going on with you this morning. If that doesn't seem to fit, flip it over. And on that blank space on the backside, use that to tell us what what God is doing and what's going on. Be sure that you leave us contact information too, so that we can follow up with you this week about what it is. Every so often, we'll get one of those that has a name and and, and they've checked boxes, maybe even written in some stuff, but we don't have any way to get a hold of them. There's no contact information. And so be sure to give us your contact information as well, whatever way you want us to contact you. And and we'll do that. We'll follow up with you as well to encourage you and and help uh, in any way that we can, all right, to equip you for what God's wanting to do in your life. I want to ask our men, if they would, to take their place for our offering now this morning. And as they do that, I'm going to.